welcome to Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by Steve Grace. Steve runs the Nudge Group, um, which is all recruitment across pre-seed right through to Series A, Series B in the world of startup scale-ups. Had a really good conversation with him probably about a month or so back and just getting a grip on that market. And it also involved a, quite a bit of media across the, the landscape of assisting people on similar things to what the Dev Ready Podcast is, the journey of startups, how you might frame within businesses, some learning, some evolution, uh, running a series of uh, YouTube channels, etc. So we thought Steve would be great to bring onto the channel and have a good conversation too on all fronts. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. So Steve, let's start from the beginning. Um, your story to Nudge Group is quite interesting, so I'd love to explore that a little bit and how you, you went down the path of Nudge Group itself. Yeah, okay, I'm not gonna go back too far, but uh, <laughs> but to summarize it in, in short, um, I was in, I've been in tech recruitment for 28 years now, I think, or something ridiculous. And I'd had, I did tech, tech recruitment in London, which is where I started it, and I moved to Australia here in 1999, like all young 25-year-old British guys, just wanting to have some warmth. And I, I believe I'm a solar-powered human being, and you don't get any solar in, in London. So I moved here and um, worked for a couple of larger recruiters here before I got my residency. And again, like every other British recruiter, I started my recruitment company. Um, and that was in digital. It was when digital was first becoming digital and no one knew what it meant. And that was super cool. I loved that business. It was called Fingerprint. It was, it was really easy to do a logo for. Um, but it was, it was a good business. And we, I sold that after seven years with my business partner, which I wish I hadn't. But I think when you're young and someone offers you money, you, you kind of just take it. So after that, I bought into another recruitment company, which was completely different with a very good friend of mine who I actually had moved over from London with at the same time. And he had a recruitment company called Ashdown, which was all government recruitment. And we did that for a while. We grew that, grew that massively. Um, and strangely enough, it was seven years again. So there's a bit of a trend, but let's not touch on that too much because we're not quite at seven years with Nudge yet. And I really wasn't enjoying that for a number of reasons. I think I'd just done my dash. And so I sold my share to my business partner and I sat at home for six months trying to work out what to do. Adamant, I was not gonna do recruitment. So sure. And after going through numerous ideas of which I had no qualifications, ideas, or business even thinking about, I decided I should do recruitment because it was all I knew how to it's do. It's what you know, right? Sometimes it's easier to get it's back what you know. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah, I think it was. I think it was that word. Those words of wisdom that come out of your mouth. And that's all your wife's mouth, which you know it happens all the time. It's quite annoying. Anyway, so I thought, right, well, what am I going to do? I thought we'd done some recruitment in my previous companies for startups really poorly in my view and everyone was doing it really poorly so i thought let's build a recruitment agency just for that space you know let's educate people on as in the people working in the recruitment the sort of recruiters on the different kind of people you need in pre-seed seed series abc let's educate them on esops let's teach them about how to sell a product or, or sell a company that no one's heard of and all this kind of stuff and then put the pricing in a way so that startups can actually afford it and you know create media around it try and help them grow and, and do all these other things and, and that's where nudge came from and that was four and a half years ago now um and that was in just four months prior to covid which you know when covid hit you kind of go oh. but ended up being awesome as you know startups just boomed startups right? everyone boom. had to in the cloud boom, everyone was e-commerce yeah it was it, it you know it was it was a I, I was one of those people who benefited from that 
And because of that, Nudge grew extremely, probably too quickly, into London and Singapore, and and uh, and the media arm also was born out of that time as well, which which I can talk about. And that's sort of how we got to where we are. Hmm. Fascinating. It is a fun place to be in the world of startups, scale ups, etc. It's awesome. You know why? Everyone's so positive. Yeah, everyone's positive. Tell you, yes. no one positive in government, and everyone in corporate, they're just they pretend they're positive, but they're they're sad inside. I think it's it's where the new shiny stuff is. Yes, it gets everyone's attention. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's where the thing you want is. You can yeah. make it up. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Everyone has a little bit of fun, um, provided that they can uh, hit some goals and get some traction. But I think, yeah, at, in the early stage of seed, that's really where positivity shines. You get rocky yeah. roads through the world of startup that you'd probably be exposed to along the journey. Um, but yeah, it is a fun place to play, evolve, in, in, get involved with. And we've been in the space for. Oh, we've been building tech for 15 years, but working with startups probably all the way during that journey, um, probably a little bit more over the past four or five years. Um, yeah, yeah, we do enjoy the space, but and how this is another way to give back, just to share the story. So if anyone along the journey of pre, starting at pre-seed, let's talk to that. Um, a lot of the people we talk to are non-technical. Where might they mm-hmm. start? Who are the first people they should be looking to recruit in a business that maybe wants to build some tech, some SaaS around them? Obviously, they need some people technical, but business is not just about building product. There's also other things that are involved. What do you recommend? It's a question I get asked a lot. Um, I mean, it's a very individual question, right? You, I'm going to write an article. I'll send it to you guys when I do it about the different types of founders. You have tech founders, you have marketing founders, you have product founders, you have sales founders, and then you have just crazy founders. And the crazy ones, let's not get into that. They're just they think they can do everything, and they're, they're terrible people to work with. But I think if you're, it, it depends where your skills are. You need to understand where your skills are. And non-tech founders, I mean, they do need to hire a tech person, and they need to do it early. I, I really do believe getting a tech co-founder. Although co-founder is a loose term, right? Because co-founders come in years after it started, which never makes any sense to me. But they do need to get a tech co-founder, I believe, as soon as possible from whatever space they come from if they are not a technical founder. doesn't mean they shouldn't start building the product with people like yourselves or there's, there's numerous others or even no code solution to start off with or whatever it is they do. Ultimately, if they're going to scale a business, they're going to need a tech founder. It's, it's the number one high you've got to get. And right now, for the first time in forever, you can actually find them. So... Uh, Get out there and hire some. When you say <laughs> tech founder, is that a really good engineer? Or is that someone who ends up becoming yeah. sort of like the CTO role that they need long-term? Are they going to be two different things? Two different things. You, you don't get too many who can make that whole journey. You do get them. You don't get too many. It's a really good engineer who hopefully has been in an organization where they've had some exposure to the business. So they've got some business acumen. I mean, I think when you're hiring in any startup, particularly super early stage, like you're talking about, they need to hire people who understand that space. You know, you don't go and hire someone from a big company. They'll, they might like it, they might not. It's a complete gamble. The understanding and hiring in all these kind of startups, getting the person at the right stage who understands the stage you're at of a business and funding is the most important thing, more so than the skill sets. Is that just to help like rein in the budgets they have? Or is it to be able to deliver on no. the, the phase that they're in? And like, all right, we need to deliver a quick proof of concept. This is what we have to do to be able to deliver it with what we're after. Yeah, it's a, it's a, different, um, it's a different understanding. So if you think about it, if you're in a large organization, you've got forever, you've got budgets, you've got time. If you're, 
in a medium company, you might not have the time, but you might have the budget. You know, it, it's understanding how you get things done. You can't have perfectionists because there's no time for that. You need to get workable models. You need to get things in the hands of your customer so you can work back what they actually want because they're the only ones that really matter. And all those kinds of lessons that you learn in those early stages, if they haven't been through that, they're really going to slow you down and you don't have time to be slowed down because you've got no money and you've probably got no revenue. So it's having someone that can move quickly to get you to a point where you can take the next step. It's just it's constantly taking steps and taking the little ones and taking them constantly as opposed to waiting and waiting and doing big ones and you know doing big releases or getting it just right. Those people will not work in an early stage startup ever. That's, that's the one challenge where people come out of corporate and they're to like we've been involved in startups where they've brought together five or six people from corporate and it's probably slower than working with a corporate and that is not a good place to be so you're going to need someone that's i, I agree on the engineering front um that's able to help you build product business now is also very important like you said if they're just a, a product guy that builds stuff they might just get stuck in their ways and just build anything because um, I've seen that happen too. But, yeah, someone that's willing to go out, engage customers, a bit more of a product ownership spin can also assist that early stage journey from what i found. I think you're right. And I think, you know, you, you get the sales founders, right? They're trying to sell the damn thing that's in their head. No one's even started building yeah. it yet. We, I was going to say one day we're going to do an article where we liken the different type of founders to dogs. <laughs> I think it's going to be quite an entertaining article. I'm definitely going to share it with you guys when we've done it. What kind of dog is a tech founder? I don't know. You can have a think about that and give me some input. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever one chases his tail the fastest. Yeah, exactly right. I don't know. I don't know enough about dogs. I'm going to have to do some research. This is the sales one would be the little chihuahua that's barking all the time at everybody. Um, the loudest um, one. No, yeah, no, no, bark, no bite behind its bark. So that would be the sales founder. <laughs> Uh, lots of fun, though. Be a good article. So, as we go through the journey, you've mentioned uh, Series A, Series B. We can only need different people in the business. Can you frame a little bit of that? I'm imagining a bit more marketing prowess, a bit more sales, depending on the type of founders. But it's all going to vary, I would imagine. It, it is. I think it's it's the personality types, and I think what founders need to know, and none of them believe this, which is kind of. The naivety of it is, is kind of romantic in the respect that they believe the people that they hire at the very beginning will be them at the end, and they won't. There might be one, there might be two, there might be some co-founders, but generally most of the people that are going to get them in what they like to say zero to one are not going to be there when they go into their Series B. They're not because they're people that are great with ambiguity. They can turn their hand to anything. Nothing needs to be perfect. It's all about speed. It's all about positivity. But when you get up into those series A's and B's, it's not about that at all. It's about focus. It's about having people doing specific roles and not stepping on people's toes. And those people who you hire early, they become a nuisance as you get bigger and they become a hindrance. And, and you need to understand that and prepare for that. as Because I think founders find it very hard to, to let and move people on or move them into other roles because they feel this debt of gratitude to them, which, which they should, but they also need to understand they're just not going to work. So give them some equity and send them on their way, is, is my view on that. Um, let them just become early-stage specialists, which is not something we've done well here in Australia. They do it very well in the US, they do it very well in the UK. They don't really do it very well in Singapore either, but they do, don't do it well here at all. People don't understand that early-stage specialists, are, that, that's, a, that's a job in itself, and, and there are very few of them that can make that journey, just like it's so difficult for a founder to become a CEO. Mm -hmm. You know, that startup to scale up moment is one of the hardest of any founder's journey. Yeah, it's a fascinating insight. Um, 
I think from that, if you're hiring people that are just going to fail fast, either they need to go and R&D in the business or they need to move on. Like even as you grow any business, it gets more challenging. And the time gap it takes for people to learn new skills can be a big hindrance on a business that's trying to scale and grow because you don't have time. Yeah, it can. Yeah. Even in our own business, it's it's there's a few people who can just take an idea and run and make something without having it planned and detailed and all the everything else that normally goes along with it. Yeah, and there are a lot of people who can't. And, you know, there are other roles for them, special projects, I think they call it. But, I mean, you know, it's going off and looking at... Um, in fact, I don't know if you guys watched that show that was out on Amazon called The Founder, and it had four episodes. There was one on Canva, one on Safety Culture, one on Finder, and one on Bright. But the interesting one was the one um, with Fred from Finder because he is that kind of individual, and he became a problem. He didn't really have anything to do, and you know they had to find something for him to do. So they sent him over to the States and said, build the startup again from scratch, and that's what he's good at. And I think as a founder, you need to understand that and plan and either have conversations early about those people moving on whenever they are and, and whatever you're going to do about that, or work out how you're going to move them as the business does become successful mm. because the longer you keep them in these roles and pretending that everything's going to be all right, the, the, the slower your progress will become. And I think that's just something people never anticipate. Fascinating. As Nudge Group's grown um, with the growth, what are some of the challenges that you've found just for recruiting for different ge geographies, different demographics? What's the scenario there just from that growth into different other regions? Yeah, look, it's, it's a really... It's very different how it was. Like recruitment changed because of COVID. I'll give you just a, a, a really hard stat. I did recruitment for I don't know how many years before Nudge, 20 something. And I'd probably done maybe 10 video interviews. The rest of them had all been face to face. And you do on average 20 maybe interviews a week as a recruiter. So that's a lot, a few times that much. Yeah, yeah. Well, you meet a lot of people. Some of them are very strange as well. But um, after COVID, I've maybe done two face-to-face, -face. and what's it been now? Three and a half years, yeah. and I can't see myself really, and there's just people who really just turn up, you know, they, they pretend that they didn't know it was a video and they turn up at the door, which is annoying, <laughs> but that does happen. Um, because you don't dress for video, you don't dress for interviews anymore, right? But, um, so that in itself, just that simple fact has enabled us to recruit um, around the globe far easier far, far easier. You know, with Singapore, when we opened Singapore, we didn't have anyone in Singapore to start with. You know, we, we went there and we would go and see clients and things, but we didn't need anyone day to day on the ground. We don't have an office per se in the US, but we help a lot of companies launch into the US. So we do a lot of recruitment there, but we don't have anyone there and we never will because we just don't need to. So it's, it's become quite interesting in that, you know, we really have these three key offices, but we work globally. And the challenges that were there are gone. The, the highest challenge is always going to be time zone. That's it, really, um, and your willingness to work at weird hours. But other than that, it's, I think it's advanced in the way that we work because prior to COVID, I don't think anyone was very good at judging people in, from, from a recruitment perspective over video. You know, you wanted to see them. You want to see their body language. You want to see everything. I think naturally the brain has evolved even in that short period of time, so that we're far better at it now over video. So we can do it anywhere, anytime. So the barriers have just tumbled from a global perspective. Um, and that creates the problem of, oh, where do we go next? And what do we do? And what don't we do? And how do we have focus? And, you know, I think you need to have a level of focus. And that's why we won't work outside of startups and scale-ups. You know, we get approached by corporates and SMBs, and we, we don't do that because I think you've got to have some, if you're going to take over the world, you've got to have some focus in yeah, there somewhere. Need a direction. Pick your niche. Yeah.
yeah. you can't be everything to everyone, as they say. Um, yeah, it's not. But yeah, it's a bit of massive shift in in the recruitment. I don't think a lot of people have even acknowledged. So, in terms of the recruitment process, it obviously has gone to online now. Um, what does it look like if someone wants to engage someone like yourself? They're probably a little bit lost in maybe finding a, a co-founder slash that technical co-founder. Is that someone you can help bring to the table? How do you approach it? I think, look, again, it's going to be different um, with every kind of role. I, I, one of the things that we did that have really changed our business phenomenally was recruiting for startups. Okay, think about that. So you're sitting there, and bear in mind the market was the tightest it had ever been during most of this period. You know, it's obviously a lot more free now, but it was. So we're ringing up people who are getting calls from 10 other recruiters, and we're saying, hey, I know you're in this job that you love and they're paying really well, but why don't you come and join this company you've never heard of and work for this guy you don't know and it's got a nine out of 10 chance of failing. It doesn't sound very appealing. So we weren't finding it easy to get people to leave their jobs, like the, you know, they leave at last in Canvas, Sage Culture, whatever it was, to come and work for these startups. So this is where we started the media journey and we started the Give It A Nudge YouTube show. Mm-hmm. So we thought what we'll do, we'll take a video of them because the only person who can really sell the business is the founder. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned in startup recruitment is you don't go out with a job and then tell them about the company and then let them meet the person, which is what you would traditionally do if you were hiring for, mm. for Atlassian, for example. What we do is we do our half an hour video show and we would send a clip. So the last question we always ask everyone is why would someone come and work for you? It's the last question of the video podcast. So we would send them that clip. It's usually 30 seconds, minute long. We'd send them that on LinkedIn and say, watch this. And you know when you get a little video with a triangle on it, you, you just have to press it, right? So yep. people always watch it. And then they cut their email back and go, why have you sent me that? Or they ignore you, one or the other, it doesn't matter. But if they email you back and say, why you sent it, that means there's some interest. They've listened to this person and they're going, well, this is interesting. So then you send them the whole video, which is the story of the company. So where it came from, where it's at and where it's going. And then they hear that. And if they still come back, then you know what you've got is you've got a candidate who, one, likes the founder, which is the most important thing for a startup, two, believes in the mission, and then and only then do we start talking to them about the job. So when we reverse that process using media, the hit rate, the level of impact, and the, the stickiness of the candidates in terms of staying in startups went through the roof. Um, and we still, we still do it today. It's, it's one of the most effective things we've ever done. It's just an idea we came up with. Um, had no idea if it worked, and it's one. I love it when those things that you just you try and just it was works, literally yeah. a throwaway, it was a throwaway yeah. comment, uh-huh. and it works so well. Brilliant. It makes a lot of sense though, because as we, everyone, so people are, that are in corporate, if they're looking to get out and work into a different industry or try something new, they're going to want to be more positioned to the business, not the role, um, especially going into startups. Because when you go to startup. You may be employed as the, the CTO or the technical co-founder, but you're probably going to be on sales calls in early stage. You're probably going to help with some marketing <laughs> direction. Uh, you're probably going to help with some input on website planning and content. and So you become a, a part of the business and a part of the mission. It's not just one role generally. Um, yeah, absolutely. So if, You're definitely going to be putting chairs together. You do everything, yeah. running coffee supplies, booking yes. flights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a, there's no way you're getting through that without a screwdriver many an afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a different world, the world of startups and scale-ups, that's for sure. So the Nudge um, YouTube channel, that's, that was a growing initiative. How many founders have you had on that, that channel today? It's a great – I'm glad you asked that, Andrew. Um, 
we are having our hundredth show this Thursday. Oh, well Congratulations! Which is insane, right? Insane. Um, so we've now—I don't—we have—I think we've had a hundred founders. We've had a, had a lot of other people who've wanted to come on. We've had a few private equity firms, VCs, lawyers. Yes. But I would say probably about eighty founders now. Um, but we've got a backlog of forty that want to come on the show. Nice. So we used to just do it for clients. Um, we now do do people who aren't clients. It's an expensive show. It costs a lot of money. So we tend to only do it for clients unless I really find what they're doing compelling and interesting. Um, but we get pitched a lot of founders by PR agencies and stuff. Yes. So I'm trying to build it out a bit more this year. I'm talking to a couple of um, very big sponsors. I'm hoping this afternoon one of them will come through. Um, and then we might be able to film it a bit more often. And, and at the moment it comes out every two weeks. Uh, but we might make it weekly or even, even I don't know, if, We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how much they're willing to sponsor. But <laughs> if you can get them, it's one of my line. favorite things to do. I really, I really love filming that show because we film it in TV studios. It's all super cool. Everyone gets very excited. Oh, if you go to that level, yes, doing one a day, I'm sure you enjoy that too, Steve. So keep pushing along. So I tell you, in the in the very very early years, we hadn't bugger all money, right? So. We used to film in a warehouse in Mascot, which had no air conditioning, which was so much fun in summer. But I would film 12 in a row. So I would film for 12 hours straight. And all I would eat is cupcakes with give it a nudge written on them, because that was the end food we had. There was nothing around for food. We never remembered to take food. And I, and I would, by the end of it, I'd be just like completely monged out. But at the same time, because you do so many in a row, you really get into the shows. Whereas if you just film one, you kind of got other things going on in your day and you're not quite as present. So actually look at some of those earlier ones, which are also quite funny because we're sitting about 100 metres apart because of COVID. Um, so we're kind of shouting at each other across this massive warehouse, sweating to death with these huge fans in. But I love that. We used to do three days in a row sometimes. We used well, to love it because it was the only way we could afford it. It was so much fun. <laughs> lots of sounds like lots of fun. What do you enjoy about startups? Because it sounds like it puts a smile on your face. So what do you enjoy about being a part of this industry? What do I enjoy about startups? Well, I think we, I mentioned this to you just before we start. I love the positivity of people. Yeah. Um, I love working with people that believe they can make it work and want to. They just genuinely want to. They're excited. I love the fact that they come back to me when I email them. I love the fact that they don't go home at 5 o'clock if I call them at 7. All those kind of things. They work in it. I mean, I've had – this is my fourth business. So even though mine have never been tech startups, I, I love that world. I've never fitted very well into corporate life. I wasn't very popular with the people that employed me for a variety of reasons that we won't go into on this podcast. But, um, and I think it's just the whole, it's, it's also the, the, the spirit in there. And what I mean by that is startup founders are probably the most time poor people you've ever met. And yet they're the most generous with their time and they are the most willing to help others and they really don't care about the competition. They're not trying to hide things. There's all this openness in it. It's just a good place to be. Mm. Um, I think that's probably the main reason. Yeah, and you're changing the world. Well, I'm not, but I'm kind of helping them. You're like, helping them get process, this. right? So you're part of that, that world assisting the process, assisting the founders. If they find the right people to help them take their vision from one step to another, that's a big win. Because in, in it reality, is, and most of them don't know how to yeah, do it. Yeah, in right? reality, they it's don't. all about the people you have that are going to drive the execution. Um, yeah. An idea is an idea, but the execution is the priority. If you can't execute correctly, you failed. Yeah. The nine out of ten failures are generally execution problems and not pivoting quick enough and not learning from customers quick enough and not pushing for funding early enough and there's a lot of issues that you can find along the journey but yeah it comes down to people in the end it it does and you know what i really want to challenge that nine out of ten stat yeah. 
because in the five years that we've nearly been going, I reckon I looked this up the other day. We've worked with about four hundred and fifty startups. I think only four of them have failed. So mm-hmm. either there's way too much funding around, which I don't think anyone would agree with right now today. Yeah. It's just not there was, but there isn't. Or that's just a made-up stat that someone in Silicon Valley made up to make it sound more elitist than it I, is. I reckon. I just don't. I, don't I think it's much lower. I was reading a thing on Medium the other day from Y Combinator. And it's in after three yeah. years, it's a fifty fifty almost, like forty nine fifty one percent to fail and success from from their startups as Y Combinator. Yeah, I mean they they get they get some pretty good they get some pretty yeah. good press as a Y Combinator <laughs> startup. Let's be honest, but um, yeah, I just I just don't see that. I, sad when I I've seen so few fail that I have actually been quite sad when they have. Um, it's actually quite brutal to watch a founder watch their business fail. Yeah, don't enjoy that. No, especially giving birth to something, going through it over a period of time. And the failure does, doesn't necessarily mean um, complete close down the doors. It might mean having delivered to execution early exit or have to sell it off at a minute rate and investors generally get a few dollars and the founders get nothing. Um, so that can happen. In yep, the, in all the way. Um, yeah, so there's many different paths to failure. And failure might just mean you haven't got to the level that you wanted to over a period of three to five years. So you, you close your doors and try something new. So it is more of a longer term thing um, because, yeah, if you can get through the first 12 months and get some funding behind you, you generally got another 12, 18 months to drive this thing forward. Um, that's the reality in the world. So if you can get through that first stage of funding, you may have a good couple of years in you to give it a really good go. Um, but, yeah, it's good numbers that you're, you're portraying there. It could be the people you're finding. You know, well, actually, now you've said it, maybe yeah. that's the reason they're not yeah. failing. Maybe it's because they're using the nudge group yeah, for their recruitment. Yes. I never even yeah. thought about that, Andrew. What a great <laughs> angle. Talk about, let's talk about that yeah, a lot that's, more. That's a, <laughs> we hope you find that people and lift up screw, they'll pick up a screwdriver. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, so in terms of media, you mentioned that before we jumped on... Um, Online, that was an area that you're driving heavily in, and it's um, something you really love. I love it. I mean, yeah, we fell in. So we we fell into give it a nudge by accident, and then we fell into balance the grind by accident, um, which is our online publication. So that that's an online publication that was. I'll tell you the story. So my head of content is a gentleman by the name of Hal Newham. Hal's worked for me for I don't know now three years, quite well. Um, he had this blog called Balance the Grind that he started when he had his first child and he felt overwhelmed by the whole work-life balance. And then he started just, he's a writer at heart and he was working at, um, he was working at Sparrow, one of those other high-end agencies. And he just started interviewing people over email, just saying, hey, tell me, and then printing their, their articles. Um, and he interviewed me years ago. And he'd come to me a couple of times and asked me to sponsor articles, which, which I'd done because they were relevant founders to us. And then he rang me up one day and he said, I want you to buy Balance the Grind. And I'm just like, what? What are you talking about? I'm trying to grow a recruitment business in startups. Does he not think I'm busy? Why would I buy Balance the Grind? Anyway, he went on and on for a while. We won't go into that. But we talked about it for a while and I just said, look, I need a head of content right now. That's your side hustle. Why don't you quit Sparrow, come work for me, and you can keep doing Balance the Grind and we'll talk about it later. And six weeks later, I bought it. Because once he came in and was like that in my ear, yapping away in my ear, um, I began to see what he could see. And we started to use it then as a lead generator. So what we would do is say, right, we're going to work fintech in Singapore. Okay, we're going to approach 100 startup founders in fintech for Singapore and see if they want to come and balance the grind. Out of that, you, you get about 10 maybe that would actually do it. And all those 10, we'd say at the end of the interview, hey, do you want to meet Steve from Nudge? He does recruitment for startups. And it worked really quite well and helped us grow globally. 
but it was a bit it wasn't it wasn't amazing it was a nice soft sell but it wasn't it wasn't the best and we we really didn't need we had other things that were working better in terms of generating its leads so then we thought well let's turn it into a real publication you know i mean when 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 i bought it it didn't even have an abn it was literally just it was just a wordpress site so we've now turned it into a publication and i'm i'm really enjoying it it's a b2c product it's got 60,000 people around the world that read it it's got a newsletter with about 18,000 people reading it uh, really high, like 50% open rate. It's quite amazing, actually. So we've started writing stories now to help people live their lives better. And the audience is very much aligned with the startup audience because it's written for people who want to improve themselves and have the drive to actually do something to improve themselves or improve their life. So you have a pillar around finance, you have a pillar around health and well-being, one around career and entrepreneurship, obviously, and then one around sustainability and social impact. And we're doing articles and we're doing, we've got a podcast starting, Audio One, we've got some books we've released, we've got merchandise, we're doing product reviews, we've got now, we've got about 28 different collaborators coming in, writing articles for us on those subjects. We're about to launch a premium area. And what I want to do with it is I want to push it into India and Southeast Asia because there's nothing in India and Southeast Asia that sort of talks about this. Right now our biggest audience is in the States, but there's nothing in those areas because they don't have any work-life balance. But the rising consumerism and democratization of all of those nations and the younger generation, they want to talk about it and they want to do it. And I think we can get a lot of information to them that's going to help them hopefully live better lives than they have been living and that their parents didn't have. And so that's where it's at. And then we're really sort of pushing that out like crazy. So that, again, it was, it was a mistake, but it's become a real, I, I, you know, I said we, we don't really change the world, we help people. I do believe Balance to Grind could do something to really impact a lot of people. B2C is expensive. Luckily, Nudge funds it, so it's, got, it's all good. It's part of the Nudge group. Um, so that's super cool. And then the last one I'll tell you about, because we've just, it was another throwaway comment. We started doing a newsletter called Startup Life Unscripted. And this was how again. This is why he's, he's never leaving. He's just sitting there and he said, why don't we do a newsletter for the people that work in startups rather than all the founders? Everyone's always hearing about the founders. I said, all right, let's do it. So we started approaching any old person. We started approaching founders saying, is there anyone you want to feature? And in 12 weeks of running that newsletter, we've got 14,000 subscribers, which is well, insane. Amazing growth. So there's obviously a real gap here. And I think people can really relate to hearing about others who are doing their job or doing a job that they might want to move into or even if you're a corporate thinking about what it'd be like working in a startup so that one's super cool as well so now we've got these three media assets all trying to do all that sort of stuff whilst trying to keep the recruitment business going as well so super hectic but a lot of fun it's all going back to one thing just giving back to the community helping people along the journey that want to improve get work-life balance in one aspect or they're working in startups and educating people on the opportunity, which all probably funnels back to Nudge, I would imagine, um, in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, Nudge always went to market with a, with a mindset of what I call the karma circle. Like, when we meet founders, we don't usually start recruiting for them. We usually help them first. We might help them raise money. We might introduce them to VCs. We might help them with their marketing. And because of we help them do that, when they get their funding and hire, they nearly always come back to us. So we always went with the give first, take later model. And I guess these kind of, I guess you've just said that, I hadn't really thought about it, but they all kind of work in a similar sort of way because that way is the best way to grow a business because there's no selling involved. And selling's awful. I hate selling. So why sell when you can just give and it just comes back the other way? And I know people say, oh, that's 
people don't believe it's true, but it is. And I think if anyone tries it, they'll be surprised how quickly it happens as well. It's not one of those things where you have to be broke for five years before you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It really turns around very quickly, and I think that's just the way the world works. I talk about adding value, creating value for others, right? So in the end, we're in business to help others. That's the that's why we run businesses. We're assisting at a capacity. Um, and if you offer some help up front, it gives some reciprocity. Um, so that's important in business. It's not just a, a sale and a transaction, then it's treated as a relationship and a, a longer-term thing. If people are reading your articles, it becomes a longer-term relationship and you haven't even spoken to them yet. And then they might jump on a show, for example. Um, and there's a, there's a bigger long-term relationship. So then when they need someone, Steve, how about this? We're looking at thinking about this. So I, yeah, I believe there's a big value add for that. And if we can help people that aren't ready that gets them on the path to potentially becoming a client and that's that's um, a win-win for everybody if you're able to deliver on the other end i think so too i think so too it's, a, it's just that it's a far more enjoyable way to work mm. it is. Not brilliant. leaving voicemails for everyone every day is not fun no correct no no one no one that's just like madness <laughs> it can be <laughs> definitely can well if anyone wants to find about you about you steve how can they find you and get in touch I'm everywhere. It's easy. I'm all over the place. I'm completely overexposed. Um, I'm, look, LinkedIn's always the easiest way. Um, Steve Grace, Dutch Groups, it's pretty simple to find. But yeah, I mean, any of those brands, but we have videos and gosh, I mean, having a head of content like hey, we pump out more content than they could dream of. So once they're connected with me, they, I'm literally in their lives forever. But yeah, the, the LinkedIn's definitely the easiest way. Perfect. Uh, thank you for joining us at the Ready Podcast, Steve. Let's stay in touch. I'm sure there's plenty of that you can share with the community as we go through the journey ourselves um, in terms of sharing our content and helping out the community from our end. I really appreciate you coming on, Steve. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.